You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Hey, welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. And I'm Bonnie Blaylock. Well, today we are doing a fun interview um, that Bonnie really kind of tracked down for us. You found this article on the website called foreverymom.com. I did. And this is by an author named Meg Marie Wallace, who we are so happy to have with us today. And it's called Dear Mama, This is the One Thing That Will Destroy Your Home. What a what a hook for a yeah, title. I love that. <laughs> so I had to I had to click on it. You had to click. Yep. <laughs> yep. And in it, she talks about the danger of becoming hard-hearted toward your children, how it can really damage, sabotage, and even destroy your relationship with your kids. Yeah. So that got me thinking, um, what is hard-heartedness? When we see that in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went hunting and found some really good information. I'll, we'll do that before we jump in with Meg. Okay. Um, So hardness of heart is mentioned often in scripture. And as the evangelical dictionary of theology says, there is no one technical word or phrase for hardening in scripture. Rather, a variety of words and phrases are used to describe the same phenomenon. So these include ideas like dryness, petrification, covering something with a stone or even a foreskin. I thought that was bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. So the basic idea of hardness of heart, at least in the sense used by Jesus, seems to be stubbornness and rebellion, a refusal to be sensitive, trusting, and responsive. A person's heart can be hard toward God or towards fellow humans, and they're probably linked, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I think so, too. When you you look at Pharaoh, which is where we usually go to when we talk about hardness of heart and the classic example where Pharaoh hardened his heart toward God, or was it God hardening Pharaoh's heart for him? Um, but either way, it results in ripple effects toward the Israelites mm-hmm. who he wouldn't let go. And also his relationship with God was stunted from that. So, yeah. Um, so thank you, Meg. You graciously said yes to our interview. Um, so welcome, Meg Wallace. And can you just to start off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and where are you from and what is your life about? Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, I wrote that article years ago, so I'm st- I'm just really glad to know that it's still impacting uh, people. So thanks so much for reaching out. Um, yes, my name is Meg. I am living currently in South Texas. Uh, we're kind of between San Antonio and Austin, so it's a little town um, just north of uh, San Antonio. So um, we haven't always lived here. We were in California before we lived here. And then before that, we were actually in New Mexico. I've kind of moved around my whole life. My dad was part of the FBI. So we got to move all of the time. Um, so it's not a new thing to transfer to different places. But um, but yeah, so we're in South Texas now. I'm a mom of seven, which was not the plan. I get asked all the time, did you plan to have seven kids? And I kind of took <laughs> plans to have seven kids. But we've actually told at one point we would never have any children. So this has definitely um, been an adventure for me. One I was kind of caught off guard by. But the first five kids came in six years. So it was kind of a baby every year. And then there was a little bit of a gap. And then we had two more that kind of look and function like twins. Um, They're 12 months apart. So very close family with a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving parts. But my husband is Matt. He's been in pastoral work um, for 
over 20 years. So yeah, pastor's wife and mom to seven and yeah, that's wow. <laughs> wow. What's the um what's the age range cuz it is tight. What's your oldest to your youngest? So right now, my oldest just turned 17 and then my youngest is about to turn 4 next week. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. I love it. You are dealing with the whole spectrum. We have a real expert here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I love it. I love that. I love it. Wow, so beautiful, Meg. I I just think a lot of um young families are rediscovering um, the beauty of a bigger family. Kind of like when Bonnie and I were, were raising our kids, when we were having kids, even the mm-hmm. kind of the, just the general expectation was you'd have two, three, if you're really like out there for a huge family four. Yeah. And you didn't really see really big families, but that is changing. And there a lot of my daughter's friends are just open to whatever however many children God will give them. And I think that's so beautiful. It, is, it makes me so happy. It is. I just read a thing though, um, today, this morning, in fact, comparing 1970 economics to 2023 economics. And it used to be 3.5 children were average in 1970. And now it's more like 1.9, whatever that is. I don't know what 0.9 child <laughs> is. But, um, and it's because of affordability because the prices have risen so much and the salaries haven't kept up with it. And it's just people think that they can't afford it. Right. And I, I think that's probably a misnomer. That's a great idea for another podcast. Mm-hmm. We'll have to yeah. dig into that later. It's interesting. So I want to jump in with you, Meg, um, because it, like I said at the beginning, it really did resonate with me. I think there's a knee-jerk reaction a lot of times that our kids are a drag. So what prompted you? You said you wrote it years ago. What prompted you to write the article? Well, two things. One of them is it's actually a second part article to another that I had written on marriage and hardness of heart in marriage. I don't know if you guys ever came across that one, but um, my parents had gone through a pretty painful divorce and watching the entire story unfold, it actually unfolded right at the same, there was infidelity involved. And that actually occurred at the same time. One of my closest friends was also struggling in her marriage with infidelity as well. And to watch the two stories unfold simultaneously one couple is still together, one is not. Same scenario, same set of problems, same struggles, same battles, same issues, same fights, if you will. And yet one is thriving and one does not speak to one another. What makes the difference? So I wrote this article just, um, just I think out of a moment of passion on marriage, like how hardness of heart will kill a marriage. And then it was a couple months later that I realized, you know what? Hardness of heart is not just in marriage. It's in motherhood. It's in the church. It's in friendships. It's any time, anywhere that anybody says, I've had enough. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm tapped out. Like you check out. Your heart is no longer in it. So when it comes to this idea of motherhood, I think for me, being told we would never have kids changed me. I think that was the first major struggle that we, that I personally had walked through. I mean, there were some definitely some things I went through in high school and college, but um, as a believer, that was the hardest thing that I'd ever walked through of saying, okay, I'm ready to start my family. Like all of my friends have started their families and they're on to their second and third child. And I'm still here trying and trying and, you know, meeting with fertility doctors and then doing all the testing. And then finally being told like, you, you guys are a bad mix. Like just with my husband's testing, it's less than a 3% chance for us to get pregnant. And then when you add in my testing, they said it's under zero. We don't even have a percentage for that. So I think there was just something in my soul that died that day, getting that phone call and hearing that news. I just remember 
falling to my knees, begging the Lord, please let this not be true. And you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think now I think it's a little like people always find out that we went through years and think I'm not telling the truth because it seems so crazy now that we have so many. But in those days, that was all I knew that I will never have a child. So those days were pretty dark for me and just um, grieving over the loss of what I'd hoped for and what I'd wanted. And then watching those I loved, you know, enjoy these families that I mm-hmm. so badly wanted. And when I finally did have my first child, you know, I remember the doctors telling us, um, we can't medically explain how this happened. And I'm there sitting, sitting there thinking like, I know God has a plan. Like I know medically this doesn't make any sense. He, he just chose, he just chose to pour out grace, but there was just this, um, it kind of reminds me maybe a, a tiny bit of what Mary, when she was told by the angel that she was going to have Jesus, like she treasured these things in her heart. And I just remember treasuring just this, they told me over and over again, you're going to lose this baby. You're going to lose this baby. But I just remember telling people and then just quieting my own fears of like, but today I'm pregnant. And if the Lord chooses for this to end tomorrow, tomorrow I'll grieve, but today I celebrate. So it was just every day, you know, I'm choosing to celebrate. I'm choosing to celebrate, even knowing I may lose this child. Um, so when I finally had her, just looking at the miracle she was, I mean, I just remember holding her in the hospital, thanking God, crying, you know, just in total disbelief that I actually got to, you know, have her. I just remember thinking like, I don't want to ruin this. Like, this is such a miracle not just for me, but for any mama, whether you've got infertility issues or not, it's such a miracle that we get to do this thing called motherhood. And so as the days and months, you know, kind of turn into years, you just realize like that awestruck, you know, brand new baby, this is a miracle sort of fades into what is reality of motherhood. It's not easy and it's hard and it's sometimes grueling. It's exhausting. It's a thankless job that continues on. But I never really lost that, um, almost that shock and awe of like the Lord has given what no man was able to promise. Mm. And I saw my friends sort of making decisions or other mamas making decisions that sort of kind of went along with this uprising in culture of sort of mocking motherhood or downplaying motherhood or, you know, setting motherhood aside because these much bigger dreams are far more important. It's, there was just something that never resonated in my heart about that. Um, and it troubled me. So after I'd written that article on marriage, I thought, gosh, you know, it's the same thing in motherhood. You know, when we close our hearts off to the miracle that we actually get to enjoy in having kids and being moms and raising children and bringing up this next generation, it's such a treasure. And I never want to lose sight of that. So I often say infertility is something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't trade it for all the wealth in the world. Mm-hmm. It gave me that perspective of what a gift this really is. Wow. And we've heard that again and again, our, you know, our interview with Tiffany Mangus on losing mm-hmm. her house and through tears, she said the same thing. She said, I would not wish this on my worst enemy, yep. but I would not trade it because I, I, the closeness I had with God through yeah. it all. Right. It just forces you to create mm-hmm. the space to be filled with something else, I think. Um, and if we create that space for God to be there, he will fill it. <laughs> he will fill it again and again, um, which kind of, I think that's how I think about the hard heartedness is that we are closing the door to that space. We are not allowing the way you described it was I'm done. Like I'm drawing the line. I'm done. And I've had enough. I'm closing that door. Um, So you're cutting that space off. You're just denying it to be filled with anything. Um, And God is so eager to fill 
us when we let them do that. So you had a couple of things in your article that resonated with me. You were talking about meeting a mom in, I think it was a grocery store line, uh, something she said. And then later on, another friend who had an example of describing her day and what she had planned. Can you tell us about that? Well, one of the stories I remember, and I don't even know, I should have gone back and read the article, but if it's the one I'm thinking of, I remember talking to a mom. It was in Orange County. So there's a lot of money. There's a lot of wealth. It's a lot of um, what you were talking about, about having larger family is not normal there still, which is why, you know, one of the reasons why we live in South Texas now. Um, But anyway, it's not normal to have a family that large because parents pour a lot into their kids financially. So I remember having this conversation with a mom who was sort of dumbfounded that I hadn't signed all of my children up for all of these summer activities. And she was telling me what she was doing with her kids. You know, there's piano camp, there's, you know, uh, this athletic camp, there's swim camp, there's, so she was describing camp after camp after camp. And I just kind of sat there like, when do you, when do you see your kids? And she's like, oh, you know, just kind of, you know, this little sarcasm in her voice or maybe a lot, but she just was voicing, um, I don't want to see my kids. I, I fill their weeks up because I don't want to be around them. They're annoying. They're obnoxious. They're loud. I don't like their company. So I fill their time with all of these activities because it's just easier that way. And I, you know, my heart, it just hurt when I heard that, not just, not just for the mama, but for the child as well, you know, just to be thought of as a bother, to be thought of as annoying, to be thought of as just dismissed equally, you know, I just was troubled by that. So I thought, gosh, how does this happen? You know, especially coming from my personal story, which is, this is just a miracle. We get to experience this. I don't want to ever lose that taste, no matter how hard get life gets. I just don't want to forget. And then to couple that with what was coming out of her mouth, I just thought, and she had older kids than me. So I thought, gosh, is it only a matter of time? Do we all just get there? Is this sort of the way it goes for all moms? And I was starting to ask that question, is this just the path every mother has to take? And in my heart screaming, no, I'm not going to, I can't, I can't, I haven't how, like, how do you not go down that route? Because hardness of heart can be talked of in two different ways. It can be wide scale, like a mom that just full on checks out, like I am done with all of life, you know, that kind of mom. But you can also experience hardness of heart on a day-to-day micro level also of just a mom being frustrated or annoyed or, you know, really just getting to the end of a rope on a day-to-day basis where she's not fully checked out, but she has hardened her heart in these little instances that sort of um, pile on top of each other. So anyway, it was just, that's what, that's one of the stories that, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious. I mean, maybe that mom, a lot of, a lot of us have done that. A lot of us are there, but maybe that mom didn't say specifically to her children, gosh, you're so annoying or, um, you know, say those words out loud. So do you think that was conveyed to them anyway? Out of the mom's mouth to the child? No, I mean, just in, do you think keeping your kids busy like that, or, um, I don't know, feeling that, but not actually expressing it with your words, do you think that is still conveyed, felt? I do. I, I do believe kids are very intuitive. I do believe they know far more than we believe or give them credit in knowing. And I think that we can hide it for so long, but there's, 
you know, if that mindset is there, it's different than a mom that really does plan activities for her children, but the relationship is close and it's tight knit and it's, and it's free and it's loving and it's inviting. And a mom really is just busy. Maybe she's working, maybe she's got other things going on, but the foundation is there and the summer is filled with all these beautiful things. It's different than a mom coming from a place of annoyance or intolerance or just dismissal. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. If that bedrock is gone, I do think that kids pick up on it. Yeah, I agree with you. You had the, um, this is later in our notes, but I got to read it right now. Cause you had probably the best description I have ever read in my entire life of how hard it is to be a mom. So just indulge me. I'm going to read this paragraph. When I write that motherhood is tough, I'm not talking about the never ending demands that come as often as the waves of the ocean. I'm not referring to sleepless nights, taking care of sick kids, the piles and piles of laundry that will never, ever be complete. I'm not talking about the dirty dishes that have been in the sink since last Sunday, the dishwasher you've unloaded for the third time today, figuring out where to put the shoes, (laughs) mastering the meal plans, figuring out the discipline strategies, or organizing bedrooms, calendars, sock drawers, garages, seasonal bins, closets, toys, and fitness plans. I'm talking about grueling, gut-wrenching, goes-against-everything-you-feel work. And I was like, amen, (laughs) yes, ma'am been there, done that, been to the end of myself. And that's the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, It was, it was, a, I mean, you just, you described it like that's, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> right. Right. You get to the end of the rope and it's just one tiny little thread and that's all there is left. Yes. <laughs> the pit is underneath you. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, and that's when you have your decision. That's the point of decision. Like you described, Bonnie, am I closing off or am I just going to be flayed open and be like, all right, God, do your work. Right. Sitting there open-handed with what are you now? I am so empty. Uh What are you now going to fill this with? Yeah. Misunderstood things that, you know, as Christians, we say things sometimes and some of it's based in, in Bible, some of it's based in truth, but some of it, we just get used to saying these things. And I think one of the things we say a lot in Christian communities is that God will never give us more than we can handle. And that is not true. I think the Lord often gives us way more than we can handle because I think his heart for us is that we would be dependent on him, that we would be trusting him at our wits end. You know, when we, when we're able to do it and we're like, Oh yeah, I've got this and I'm strong enough to handle this. We don't need the Lord. Like we do in those times of absolute and utter exhaustion or desperation. So I think he often, you know, it's a gift. One of my favorite quotes is um, it's about black edged envelopes. Like sometimes the thing we don't want the most is actually the sweetest gift because we get God in the midst of it in the hardship. So I just think that's one of those things in motherhood. We kind of have to keep in our heads of like, oh, no, we are meant to come to the end of ourselves because that's where we actually find hope, like true hope and grace. Mm hmm. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. So good. So I've noticed this trend. Um, it's been on social media for a long, long time. If you follow certain accounts or whatever, and it's kind of put in a, a joking sort of way. Um, people say terrible things <laughs> about their kids on social media or, or just kids in general, you know, the the terrible twos, the the terrible threes, all of the, all of that stuff. How terrible it is to live with your teenager and all the heartache that um, that relationship is just impossible. You can't possibly get through it, and it's a joke. But 
I mean, we say on here all the time that our words have power. Your words do not know what a sense of humor is. <laughs> Your words are just going out there into the universe. Even if I'm just telling, uh, offloading to Renee um, how I feel about my three-year-old today, that's still out there in the universe. My kid didn't hear it. But like you said, it's kind of this attitude that I've now invited in mm-hmm. um, that seeps out. Um, and creates a tone, I think, in your home. And I don't know, you read some of the comments on these things and it's like, well, don't be so sensitive. Like, it's just our way of blowing off steam and all that. I just, I just don't think that's okay. Um, I don't think that it is, that there's anything good in it. I think you can blow off steam other ways. Um, better Elliptical. ways. Elliptical. Right. Elliptical. <laughs> yeah. That was my, my tool of choice. Go swim some laps <laughs> in the pool, right? Oh, so you had this amazing list, long list of what hardness of heart can look like. So good. So, so good. Cause it kind of fleshes out like what you're talking about. And so there, there is so many in this list, but Bonnie and I picked kind of our top ones that resonated with us. Yeah. Um, you probably had about 40 listed, something like that. <laughs> I was like, there's their bullets. They're not numbers, but there's a lot. And Right. I'm reading down it. And some of them are just like, Oh, Ooh, some of them will hit you. I don't care how yeah. good of a mom you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> some of those will hit you. Um, and yeah, cause you to repent. Yeah. <laughs> we both had highlighted, um, believing that being short tempered and easily angered is just a normal mom thing and excusing it because everybody else does it too. And depending on your, we've talked about this a lot, depending mm-hmm. on your disposition and your temperament, that'll be a bigger one for some than others. Yeah, if you want to jump in here anytime, yeah. just like comment on any of these, why you put those. Let me back up real quick, because what you're talking about of that being the normal culture to sort of mock or tease or make fun of motherhood, I think you're exactly right. It becomes sort of the normal speech and joking about our children or joking about this role of motherhood. And, you know, some of it really is funny. Some of it is lighthearted. I understand where they're coming from. But what you're talking about, that mindset of it's sort of, it sort of introduces that coldness of, of sort of a gap between the children are the ones broken and we are the ones that are not. So therefore we get to poke fun or make fun when in reality, we still as adults have our own issues. And I think if anyone were to come alongside above us or ahead of us, or, you know, a few years down the road from us and make fun of us in the same ways that we do to our children, our hearts would probably hurt too. I don't know that we would want to befriend those people. I don't know that we'd want to draw near if, if we were being teased in that way, and if it was just chalked up as we're just teasing, we're just teasing, there's still teasing that's really genuinely funny. And then there's teasing that's cutting. And I think that's the line you're talking about, that cutting humor where if your child was fully aware of the ways in which you spoke to them or spoke about them to others, would they feel honored? Would they feel enjoyed? Would they feel like a treasure? And most likely the answer is no. And it, when you're talking about that kind of humor, the cutting humor, and I get, we can all, you know, enjoy humor. I, I love quoting movie lines. I love, you know, a good joke. I'm a huge comedy girl, but, but when it's cutting humor at the expense of someone else, and I imagine a setting where there's a circle of people and, and you become sort of the one that's on the spotlight and, and everyone's poking fun of you. Like nobody, I don't care how old you are. I don't care what life circumstances you've come from. Nobody would enjoy that. And so when we do that to our children, I think what happens is I've, I worded it this way to other moms. And then we talk often about this in our home. When you, when you gifted your child, 
there's this bond that's there or that, you know, God would allow to be there invites us to recognize is there. I don't know how to word it, but it's there. And it's like these strings that are attached. And every time we, you know, joke in a coarse way or in a cutting way, it cuts a string in that relationship. And before long, you know, maybe this string didn't matter that much. And maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe the next string, but before long, all of those strings are cut. And then you've got a teenager who is fully aware of that kind of humor, now fully aware of what words mean and how they're spoken and the undertones underneath them. And we wonder why we're not close to our teens. And so I think this is just this article of saying, inviting moms in early on, let's not cut those strings. I would rather not befriend or entertain that kind of sarcastic cutting humor if it meant I get to keep this sweet, tender relationship with my child. So anyway, I just want to be able to throw that out there. And I do agree, hardness of heart with humans is a direct correlation between a hardness of heart with God. And there's ways I was going to talk about the coping stuff. We all have our ways. I know there's times I literally have to step out of the house and walk down the street. I've, I've hit my max. You talked about the elliptical machine. Yes, I'm a gym girl. Like I love the, I lift weights and sometimes I just put my AirPods in and I lift my best amount of weight when I'm really, you know, frustrated in motherhood. All of those things. You can go to the spa. You can, you know, phone a friend. You can do these other things, but none of them actually get to the heart. And what I've been studying in this last year, I really feel like is key. And I wish I would have put it in this article because the more I learn about it, the more I realize that is the only solution, but it's actually lament. What you're really saying in those moments of desperation where you just cannot handle it is God help. Like I can't do this and I don't want to do this. And I'm at my wits end help. And we can turn to all these other things to sort of boost ourselves back up or get some more energy. But unless we're taking it to the Lord, like there is no way to fill back up. There's no way, there's no source. There's no resource. There's nothing to draw from if it's not from the Lord himself. So it is fine to call a friend and, and grieve and like, you know, you know, get out your frustration. But ultimately, if we don't take it to God, that friend can't offer us any power that that friend can't offer us any other, you know, source of encouragement um, that will really help change our hearts. Only the Lord can. So the Lord asks us to do that. He asks us to come before him and just lay it all out. It, it doesn't throw him off. He's not, you know, knocked off his throne. If we say things that maybe we, you know, we wouldn't in, in normal sleep where we're not sleep deprived, like maybe we would word things differently, but the Lord asks us to just, just tell him honestly, like where we're at. And that's where he does come in. So yes, these are all examples. These are this list, it, it's what's funny is it's long, but it still wasn't exhaustive. I kept thinking of ideas. <laughs> I gotta end this thing. This article is going to be way too long. But these are examples that are real life examples. Either one that I lived as a child in my own home, um, having experience. So when you talk about do kids pick up on it, they do. And I'm a living example of it. Um, but it's also things that I observed in friends or strangers or in my own home. Like these are some examples that I recognize in my own heart. Apart from the Lord, I realized like having so many kids so fast, like I realized how selfish I can be with my time and with my, my desires and with my wants. And, and then you're just thrown in, you know, five kids in six years. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing. So some of these examples are lived by me. Like I understand, you know, how easy it is to just, just be like, I'm done. I'm done, you know, but anyway, so yeah, we can go back to the list. So I want to be able to share that and then we can come back to oh, this. Good. So good. Just, yeah. That's a, 
that's just something to sit and ponder the the idea of lament. I was um, listening to the Psalms this morning and Psalm 42, I think it is. I hope I'm saying the right Psalm. It says, um, you know, it's crying out. David is crying out, rise up and help us. Our bodies are clinging to the dust of the ground. What mom couldn't say that, you know, at some point, <laughs> my body, I'm laid out in the dust of the ground here, rise up and come to my aid. And that's what, that's right. He will. That's a prayer he wants to answer. I agree. Every time, every time. All right, let's, let's do the list because um, I'd say, I think we would both say that like being quick to anger was something we dealt with in our early, yeah. like right away, a behavior that a per- perfectionist deal with early on, probably. Um, we'll just pop some of these off. Yeah. Um, okay. Continuing to justify your extremely overly busy life because of the desire to meet or exceed the expectations of others. Okay. So that one is odd to me because I, I'm not one that like looks at other I, I'm that I have other things that I send in or that I deal with, but looking at other moms is not one of them. Is that real common, Meg? You know, I think it is growing more and more in this age of social media where you can compare like, oh, well, this mom's involved in this and this mom's involved in that. And then we say yes, you know, to all of these things. But one of our favorite phrases in our home is that love and hurry do not coexist. So Ooh, again. <laughs> You know, I know for me being a pastor's wife for so many years, especially with them so young, Sunday mornings were chaotic. And, you know, just the time you got them fed, like now somebody spilled something on their dress and now you've got to change them. And now you've got to find shoes and you've got to locate socks. And, and then you're just scurrying and hurrying and rushing. And then somebody, you know, in the, it's when you're rushed the most that some kid has like the most random injury, like now so-and-so slammed their door, their thumb in the door. And now we're even late and this one's crying and that one's upset. And then you just get to church and you're so mad and then you're supposed to worship. Like, that idea of like, no, you can't love well when you're rushed. And so how often do we spend lives like a Sunday morning where isn't it when you're, I feel like it's, it's almost like the word picture, if I were to give one is like stacking cards. So if you're playing a card game and you've got a card and you say, okay, this card is the high card. And then someone else plays another card that's higher. What is the most important thing is getting to church on time. An important thing. Yes. Is loving my kids more important? That card is higher. So I got used to just being a little bit late to church. I got used to um, putting in systems and plans the night before in order to eliminate the hurry because love and hurry can't coexist. But it's true for all of life. When I'm rushing here, rushing there, and I can't make eye contact with this kid and this kid needs attention, managing a home of seven children is not an easy task. But I know when I'm hurried and I say yes to way too many things, whether it be the motivation to impress others, whether it just be because of my own desires, I want to say yes to all these great things. Um, I can't love well. So saying no is sometimes the best thing, not only for our homes, but for ourselves. Mm, so good. Um, which kind of goes to another one, choosing to think of yourself and your schedule is most important. Yeah. yeah. You had several that kind of go around this one. Um, theme of apology. So expecting your kids to say sorry first when you refuse to demonstrate it yourself, lacking genuine sorrow in your apology and following it up with, but, um, yeah, if you follow it up with, but that's it, erase everything that came before that. And that's what they're going <laughs> to your yeah. spouse or your children. <laughs> right. Then you just negated that whole thing. 
Yeah. Lacking genuine sorrow over the harsh ways that you treat your kids, responding with defensiveness, contempt, or uncontrolled emotion when someone tries to correct you. All of that is just a, um, gosh, so much pride, I think, <laughs> a lack of humility and a, and a softness toward yeah. others. I remember my son, he's my oldest son now, he was obsessed with chapstick. So this is just a really random story, but this, I mean, multiply this times a thousand now with seven kids and so many different reasons, but he was obsessed with chapstick. And at the same time he was asking for chapstick, someone had come to the door. They were bringing samples for flooring for our home. So they needed our attention. We were supposed to be picking these, you know, floor samples, but he just wanted the cap off of the chapstick so he could do the chapstick. And I wasn't listening. And I was trying to pay attention to these people at the door and he wanted this chapstick and he was getting more and more mad because I wasn't listening. And I remember taking him into the other room and just snapping at him. I don't have time to deal with you. What is your issue? And he, and he just, you know, teary eyed, like, I just want the chapstick cap off. And, and I just was flustered and I just sort of like, fine, here, take it and, you know, move on. And I went, you know, to deal with the, the people, the workers, whatever. But I remember after that going to him and saying, sorry, because had I just slowed for just a second and asked him, what is your need? What is it that you need? He would have looked at me and just said, cap off. And I would have just, as a mom, been able to love him through that moment. But I, I didn't. I just didn't. I chose not to hear him. So I remember a family member was at my home and had watched all of this and, and was watching me observe, like observing me apologize to my child. And this family member said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, apologizing to a two-year-old that is ridiculous. They said, you're the parent. They're your child. I cannot believe you would stoop to that level to apologize to your child. And again, I just sat there dumbfounded. You know, there's so much advice that you'll get from family members or friends or neighbors or loved ones or even the internet or whatever. Um, if I were to have heard that and taken that into my parenting journey, that a, ch a parent is never to apologize to their child, uh, I I don't know that I'd be sitting here today. I don't know that I would have the relationship I do with my children today. I know for a fact I wouldn't. So again, I think you learn so much about what love and kindness and the gospel is even about sometimes from watching it, you know, for examples of that. And I feel like that was really bad advice. If I'm honest, I think that was really bad advice. I think the most beneficial thing we can do as mamas is own our stuff because had I just slowed down, had I just seen him for the, the little human, the little two-year-old that just wanted the cap off, if I'd just taken that moment, we would have avoided the temper tantrum. We would have avoided all that chaos. I would have not been flustered, but would, it would have taken softening my own heart in that moment and just seeing him for who he really is. And so, yeah, that idea of apology is huge. Of just looking at him in his eyes, it doesn't excuse his fit. You know, like I can't own the temper tantrum. That's his to take responsibility for. Am I to blame for the timber tantrum? No, I really do feel like you have to splice it of like, what is my responsibility? And then what is his? But for me to lead out and say, son, I blew it. I never saw you. Did you just want mama to hear you and take the cap off? And he's like, yeah. And then he doesn't even have to be prompted. He'll just say, I'm sorry too, mama. Like, it's just like, why, why don't we function like this? Why is it in everyday life of parenthood? Like, I can't, I don't get it right every time. And and then your kids learn sweet, tender apologies because you've, you've, you've modeled that for them. You've exampled that for them. Mm -hmm. You don't teach them. Here's how to say sorry. You know, you get to show them. Right. And that's what they take into all of their relationships yeah. as young adults and adults and all the things. So why wouldn't you, 
isn't that what we want for our kids to have those kind of good relationships when they're adult? How are they just going to magically get it when they're yep. 21 and out of the house if they've never actually seen it or experienced it uh-huh. from us? Uh-huh. Yeah. For a mom to look at a little one and humble herself and admit, you know, it's always humbling. Like that's a small example about chapstick, but that as your kids get older, I'm sure you guys know there's bigger things to own. There's other things to take responsibility for. And it's never easy. And I think the lie we believe before we make that apology is that if we're exposed or if we're known for who we really are, if we really do apologize and admit we did wrong here, here, or here, we won't be received back or we'll be shamed or we'll be whatever it is. But there's always that fear leading up to that obedience. But then after that is where freedom is after repentance. Like it's a, it's a gift to get to repent um, because it restores relationships. So but that fight, you know, it's always a fight. Like, I don't want to own this. I don't want to have to take responsibility. And I think that's a really real emotion that moms have. Um, talk to us about the the withholding affection until they clean up their act. Yeah, um, that one, that one is one that I experienced, you know, as a child in, in the home that I grew up in. And um, I do think in some ways, as parents, it's, it's sort of this carrot that's hung out in front of us of like, your child is the problem and you have it all together. It's just sort of this lie that we can believe. Like we're the adult, we know more, we live longer, we have the answers, they don't. Um, and so we can kind of look at our kids like, well, until they figure it out, like I'm checked out, you know, I'm not, I'm not participating in this as an active participant. I'm just going to let them figure it out on their own. And when they do, then they can come back and tell me or whatever. That's kind of how I was raised. And, and I didn't love that because um, <laughs> you're dealing, we always say this too in our home, but we say, God forbid, God give us kids that need parents. We need <laughs> to parent them. Like kids are kids for a time. Like we have 18 years before they leave the home, 18 years to instill in them the, the things we want them to learn. 18 years, it's two decades worth of investing and pouring in. So for us to look at a child that's anywhere in that spectrum, even at 14, 15, 16, they're not done. They're, I'm not done with my job yet. So for me to look at them in the, that state where they actually genuinely need parental care and direction and relationship, for me to look at them and be like, well, figure it out. How are they supposed to? They don't have the tools yet. That's my job to come alongside. That's my job to coach. That's my job to enter into the mess with them and say, okay, where is the disconnect? Where have we gone astray? Like, what is it making sense? How can I serve? How can I help come alongside them? So that pulling oh, so, Yeah. So good. I love Ooh. this one. Um, forming concrete opinions about their deficiencies or shortcomings and drawing the conclusion that they will always be this way. Wow, I just thought, who of us wants that done to us? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in my one moment of weakness or my one season of darkness, well, that's who you are forevermore. Right. I remember before I met Jesus, I met, I was saved my senior year of college. There was quite a bit of my childhood being raised in a, what I would, you know, use air quotes for, Christian home, um, that I was typecasted in a lot of ways and I was the middle child. So I do exhibit some of those tendencies and leanings of like what typical middle children do struggle with or, you know, fight with as far as finding their identity in the family. But I remember not telling the truth on a couple different instances in high school. And 
the relationship with my parents has still been a little bit strained, you know, with the divorce and everything that's gone on. It's, it's not quite, you know, what I would desire, but I remember after having my fifth child, there was an interaction that didn't go well um, with one of my parents. And this was spoken over me. You've always been the liar. You will always be the liar. And the pain I felt in my heart at that time was pretty crushing. Uh, but I also knew Jesus at that time, whereas in, in my youth, I didn't. I didn't. I would not have known how to filter a comment like that had I not known Jesus for myself. Now, I was married, so I, I didn't have to stay in the same room as this parent. I also was a mama, so I also saw the perspective of how wrong that would be to speak over a child. But I also had the Lord, and I and I knew at that time what you just spoke is actually a lie in and of itself. Like, I'm not type, I, I don't need to be typecast like that. But I think in small ways, we can do that to our kids, whether it be the birth order, whether it be um, patterns that we see, whether it be sicknesses or illnesses that our kids face or struggle with, we can typecast them and then just assume because it's this way now, it will always be this way. And instead, again, it's an invitation. This article is an invitation. It's not a bashing. It's not a, you should do it my way. It's just an invitation. There's another way to do this thing called motherhood. And it can be filled with grace and it can be filled with kindness and it can be filled with repentance and forgiveness and and genuine bonding with our children. And I think that is the invitation to speak words of life, words of encouragement over our children, even when they're disobedient, especially, especially when they're disobedient, when they know they're flying off the rails, they're young enough to even realize that like they know, but to speak life over them and say, this is who God's made you to be and raise that bar. God made you to be kind. We tell my little girls like, they're into, you know, taking toys from one another right now. And, and I look at them and I hold their hands and I could just be like, no, 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 you don't steal, don't take. And that's her toy. And we could go that route. Or we could hold their little hands and say, God made your hands for kindness. He made your hands for goodness. He made you to have a sweetheart that wants to share, that wants to give. And to constantly speak life over them where they actually want to rise to the, the claims you actually are making over them that are from God. So good. Mm-hmm. Everything you're so saying, good. I just want to underline 10 times. I, know, I just want to like roll the podium up like uh, <laughs> the pulpit. I just need to hand you the pulpit. <laughs> awesome. So good. So good. Um, before we move on, I know we need to move on. I want to, I want her to speak on one more, one of these lists. Spending more time trying to find an official clinical diagnosis to explain away their behavior issues rather than looking in the mirror to address your own. Can you speak to that? Yeah, there were some comments on the blog um, after I wrote that article because there are genuine clinical diagnoses that parents actually need to research. So I'm not talking about that. Obviously, I've got a, a kiddo that's got an incurable disease. I've got another one that we're discovering some different um, health issues now. Uh, if we could just set aside that part of it, of course, if our child is genuinely struggling with something, if there's actually a deficiency, if there's actually some type of battle that child's facing by all means like it to me it's just a no-brainer of course that's I'm not referring to that so what I am referring to are the parents that put that want it kind of goes back to the last one that want to put their child in a box assume there's something wrong with the child when in reality there's actually no health like genuine health concern it's just that the child is unparented and so when you look at those circumstances not actual medical need compassion. That is what rules with those. Compassion, like obviously research, but if if you're drawing the line and separating the difference between those two, it's the parents that 
assume, well, there's just something wrong with my child, when instead what the child needs is compassion and love from their parent. Um, I, I think when you're dealing with that type of situation, those strings have probably been cut for years. And it would be the parent's job at that point to learn their child because their child, most likely the parent knows them better than anybody on the planet. And so to take that opportunity, that humble approach of saying, okay, what does it look like to start tying back some of these strings? What does it look like like to maybe say sorry for things that happened years ago? What does it look like to build bridges back to the heart of my child instead of just continuing to research? Well, something must be wrong with them. Something must be wrong with them. Like, oh, my kid, my teenager, whatever. It just maybe take the time to slow down. Is there something that's been broken maybe for a long time that's been swept under the rug or ignored that if that were addressed, you would, you would instantly gain your heart, the heart back of your child. So that's kind of what that's referring to. So good. So um, we don't want to leave our listeners there. We want to, we want to move to the, well, what do you do about that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like how to prevent hardness of heart. Um, what do you do if you find yourself there? How to repent yeah. from hardness of heart. What would you, what would you suggest? Well, again, this wasn't in, I mean, it kind of was, I feel like the Lord was starting at the time when I wrote this article, um, building into like this new passion. I feel like I've had in the last couple of years about that topic of lament, but when you study the laments, it's basically, if you could summarize it, cause it's kind of an old word. We don't use that word anymore. And I, I, when I first started learning about lament, I was picturing people dressed in black, you know, crying and wailing. Like I thought that's what lament meant, but it doesn't, it's basically just telling the Lord how you really feel. Like, I don't like this thought. This is hard. I'm exhausted or whatever it might be that a mom or a person struggling with is just being honest before the Lord. But when you study the laments, I think it's so helpful to see the laments in the Psalms, you know, people like King David, or you just go through and you're like, wait, you're allowed to say that to God. Like, I remember thinking as a Christian, like a new Christian, like, wait, you're allowed, you're allowed to voice like that to God. So it's been so freeing to realize there's this invitation to be really gut level honest with God. Like it's okay to talk that way to God, but in all of the Psalms, except for two of them. And I think those two are there by grace of God to say, sometimes there's no answers. Sometimes you don't figure it out. Sometimes it's okay to just sit in the lament. But aside from those two, every other one of the laments, there's a turning every single one of them. And it's, but not my will be done. Thy will be done. And it's you, you can voice your complaints to the Lord. You can voice your requests to the Lord. You can say, I don't like this. I want this to be different. I want my child to change. I want the circumstance to change. I, I, this is too much for me, but there's always this turning, but thy will be done. And I think there's a resting in that because after that turning, there's praise, there's adoration, and there's gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. I know that you've sustained me for this. I know that you've given me this role. I know that it's too much for me to bear, but thank you that you walk with me. So I think all of these things, um, when I list out bullet points, come with that heart of saying, but thy will be done, not only in my home, but in my heart. So yeah, we can go onto the list now, but that's kind of where my, my passion has, has grown and taken me. Oh, so good. Well, you, you just, I mean, some of these are just choices. I mean, choosing to lay down your life every day for your family. And that's a hard decision, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I guess you just say it to yourself, right? I choose. I choose to lay down my life. It is. It's a choice, but it also is a submission. It's okay. Thy will be done. I want my like this. 
it's not going that way at all. So, okay, thy will be done. What is actually in front of me to tend to in this moment? It's not my plan. It's not my preferences. It's not what I would have desired. Okay, Lord, thy will be done. What am I actually dealing with? Like you, you can go back to that church example. I want to get to church on time. I want everyone dressed. I want all their shoes. Like these are good things to want, but it's not moving that direction. Okay, thy will be done. All right, where are we? All right, let's 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 go back to the basics, which is love God, love people. The rest is just details. Am I being loving in this moment? So it is, it's a choice, but it is just that active laying down of submission to the Lord. Okay, thy will be done. Let's do it your way, God. Which leads us to your second point, looking for ways to love, to pursue, and being relentless to leave no room for distance between you and your children. Yeah, the Lord seeks after the one. And I want to have that part as a mama, especially when there's so many moving pieces. Um, Seven kids, there's a lot always happening. And I'm not talking just about activities and places people have to go and homework assignments. And I do part-time homeschool and part-time private school. So it's just a lot going on. But what I'm talking about too, is the emotional needs of my kids. There's one that I can connect with more easily. There's another that I, you know, have a little bit more, I need more effort there. I need to put a little bit more attention there and to navigate the emotional and, you know, spiritual, uh, temperature, I guess, in the home for all of those people. Sometimes it's a juggling act, but usually sometimes, I mean, here's, here's, here's an invitation. Here's the little carrot again to harden my heart. Um, I see one close off their heart, either gets mad at me or gets mad at another child and they wander off to their room to go be by themselves. There's this choice every time this happens. Well, that's one less person in the room, one less thing to worry about. I got other things, right? I mean, I, I got this kid needed me to go wipe them on the toilet. This kid needs help with their paper. This kid needs me to call their teacher. This kid, I need to go pick them up from football. There's so many other things that are going on. I could just pardon my heart in that instance and be like, all right, go do your thing in your room or <laughs> find the time to chase after the one like the Lord has done to me and to go up, sit with them in their room. It may mean I'm late to football. It may mean I need to call another mom, you know, red alert. Like I can't be there. It may mean, you know, dinner's a little bit later, but to seek after the hearts of my child where they feel valued, they feel sought after, that they feel loved. Again, when you go back to that card analogy, that is what trumps not my schedule, not my agenda, not even my comfort, because it's hard. It's hard to take time out of your day to like go seek after the one. But it's so important to let each one of them know, like you, you matter to me. Yeah, that kind of goes into your next point, which is um, to flourish as a mother, we need to be constantly thinking past what our kids mouths are saying and what our kids bodies are doing to seek out what it is their heart is craving and what their souls are needing. And that's that example was exactly that. Um, the stomping upstairs and slamming the door is what their bodies were doing and what their mouths were probably saying along the way, but to take the time out and go, okay, what's dig a little, what's under mm-hmm. the surface there. Yeah, And I don't mean that meaning we tolerate disrespect or we tolerate, you know, back talk or anything like that. We don't, but, but yeah, to, to deal with the behavior is needed. I don't, I don't, say these things to neglect the responsibility to train up our kids in order to behave as individuals ought, you know? So that's again, a separate issue. But after that, to seek after, okay, what is it? Kind of like the Chastic example, just on a scale, like a thousand other examples are, are the same way, but what is it you really needed in that moment? What is it you were really looking for? Because anger really is just a byproduct of our heart needing something else. 
whether it's time or kindness or affection, anger isn't, anger should be, if we see anger in our kids, it should be like the flag going up. There's something else. There's always, there's something else under there. Anger is just the surface level that we see, like the ripples of water. Something's underneath that. And our job as parents is to find out, not just pinpoint, oh, you're angry, you're angry again, but to find out what made that ripple, like what's underneath the surface. But that's hard too. I mean, to slow down, look, that goes back to the love and hurry. To love a child in that way takes time. And as moms, sometimes we don't have that time. But it is, it is just, you know, even if it's not in that instant, later that night, the next day, or even that weekend, you know, making sure to go revisit that. What was it? Like, what was it that rippled in you? Mm-hmm. And again, that's just that crying out for wisdom from God. I mean, that he promises that. He promises if we lack wisdom, he'll give generously when we ask um, and believe that he, that's something he wants to answer. So his heart is for us to know our children. So, so yes, to be, to like get curious about it um, with your child and with God. Yes, yes, yes. And that kind of advice, like that kind of wisdom that you're looking for is different than worldly advice. It's different than what you'll find on social media. It's different than what you'll find, you know, in a mom's group or whatever. Um, that kind of wisdom is only found from the Lord, which again, goes back to that idea of lament. It's fine if we find these other ways to sort of cool off or, you know, vent out or whatever. But really, if the Lord is who we need to go to for that wisdom, like how often do we waste time doing all these other things, you know, seeking advice or seeking help from all these other sources when it's right there. And the Lord's just saying, I'm right here. Like I'm right. Just seek me and you'll find the answers that you need. Uh Absolutely. I love this so much. You, you say that motherhood is for our good and for his glory. And newsflash, guys, motherhood is not to destroy us. <laughs> I think sometimes we think on any given day that that is what it's about. Our kids are out to take us down. And motherhood is not to destroy us. Um, I love how you started out this podcast with uh, your story of infertility and that um, just embracing the gratitude of that every single day that our kids, you know, God didn't have to give us our kids. It was not our right to have children. It is a blessing to have these children in our lives who are so dependent on us and so innocent. And um, gosh, what so much mm-hmm. life we can give, so much brightness we can give if we just take a second, just yeah. a second, just a pause. Yes. Yeah. I um, Before we close, I do want to touch on um, where you, t- in the ending of your article, you said, ask the Lord to change your heart first, your heart <laughs> first. Um Repent and confess, which we've kind of talked about seeking God's wisdom. We've also talked about talk to us about um, getting curious about yourself. You just had a little paragraph about that. Um, Look for what might be underneath your own, not just your child's emotion, (laughs) your own emotion. And this one, you might need help. You might need somebody. You know, it seems to me like you guys have been friends for years. I know I listened to the first podcast that you guys put out where you you did this together, like you raised children together. Sometimes it can be your spouse, maybe it's a counselor, but I think it is asking those hard questions. Um, For for me personally, I was I was given a certain pattern of relating from my parents, and and then you're sort of faced with is that what you're supposed to do? Like this is how I saw it done. Well, then you get married and you realize, oh, he was shown this way. 
And then you realize like what I thought was normal, what he thought's normal, neither one's normal. Now you got to find your new normal. And so it is just trying to figure out like what's underneath, like maybe, maybe what you're really fighting with isn't hardness of heart. Maybe you've just never been shown another way of doing something. And you don't know that there's actually an invitation to do something different. Um, maybe there's feelings of shame. Like you've done something a certain way. And that's what I would want to address after a podcast like, like this. If there's moms listening to this feeling like, well, I've already blown it. Like, no, today is a new day. God gives us new mercy every morning and every moment. So there's, it's never too late to shift. It's never too late to turn. But I think part of that is really trying to uncover like what's going on in our own hearts. And I know for me, at least for having the first five so fast, it was just always feelings of overwhelm. I'm so overwhelmed. I, I'm, And it was more of that feeling in my heart of like, God, send another helper. Like I need a nanny. I need a cook. I need something. I can't do this. And it was clear as day. The Lord just impressed on my heart. I have given you everything that you need. And for me to then turn that and say, oh, I need to find ways to get out in front of this instead of just playing that narrative over and over and over and over in my mind. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. But you can fill that word in with anything. I feel shame. I feel embarrassed. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I need help and I'm afraid to ask. I feel um, angry at my friend because they hurt me. So I'm going to pour that out on my child. Like it really does take sitting with the Lord or sitting with a counselor or sitting with a trusted friend or sitting with your spouse saying, I know in my own heart, there's something else going on. It's not just motherhood and getting to the root of that issue so that we don't project, you know, all of these feelings or whatever onto our children. Mm -hmm. What have we said before? Work on your own stuff or your children will get to work on it. And you're just going to pass it on. (laughs) You're just going to pass it on. You do it or you pass it on. Yeah. So good. Oh my goodness. Okay, Meg. Well, you've made me cry. No, she's over here crying. Speech. About God changing us. I wanted, I know we're going to, I think the article and you guys are wanting to close with 1 Corinthians 13 of just what love is and being reminded of who God is, but also our charge as parents, especially as moms, to love others well, love the least of these, which is our children. But there's another verse that I have clung to in my mother journey, but it's in Ezekiel and it's in Ezekiel 36, 26. And it says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And I think that gives all of us hope, you know, for all of us that feel convicted or feel bad or, you know, we've blown it or whatever it is. I feel like it's so encouraging to know the Lord and the Lord alone will take this heart of stone and give us a soft heart of flesh that chases after his and and chases after our children. I got, I got nothing else to say after that. It's so good. That's, that's a powerful, powerful word. Really good word. Thank you so much, Meg. Woo. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> you want me to close? Okay. So check out the notes for this fabulous, amazing interview. Um, at just ask and you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram where we uh, push out our new episodes every Monday. Take five seconds to rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends and family. And send us your topic suggestions to just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Ask Your Mom. Mom.